Did you know that in our city, in Hagerstown, 25%, one in every four people lives below the poverty line? That's more than two and a half times the rate across the rest of the state of Maryland. In the, inside the city limits of Hagerstown alone, there are seven elementary schools that have at least 60% of their students living in poverty. Four of them have more than 90% of their students living below the poverty line. That's the same exact amount, four, as all of Montgomery County and all of Prince George County put together. Hagerstown, our city, also has the only two schools in the entire state of Maryland listed as having 100% of their students living in poverty. How is that even possible? 100%. You know, the problem is staggering. The numbers, the statistics, the facts, they seem too immense to even do anything about it's easy to become numb and desensitized. It's easy to forget. It's easier to just pretend. To forget that there are names attached to every one of the numbers and faces attached to every one of these facts. When we look at the problem, we think, well, what can we do about it anyway? It's just the way it is. I mean, in the face of this, how, how can I make any difference? How is how I live my life or, or my little bit of faith, how is that going to make any difference in the face of such gigantic problems that we face of hunger and homelessness and poverty, the opioid crisis, the other things that are, we face in our city, the other problems? So it's easier to either just pretend, hole up inside our four walls and act like everything's fine or to just rationalize away any responsibility. After all, they got themselves into that position by their own bad choices. That makes us feel better because it makes us feel superior. Well, I've made better choices, so I'll never be in that position. So I don't have to do anything. It also absolves us of the any responsibility, or, or we rationalize a way that, hey, man, I'm part of that statistic, or I've got my own problems to deal with, so I, I can't help other people because I'm facing my own crisis. I'm facing my own situation. Do you know what I'm going through? If I had a dollar for every time I said that, you think I'm preaching to you, I'm preaching to me. We're going to look to John chapter 6 this morning to a point in time where the friends and family of Jesus and the disciples, they, they were kind of feeling the same way. They had actually, at the opening of chapter 6, they had just found out that their close friend and one of the, the leaders, John the Baptist, had just been beheaded, executed. And, and they were trying to mourn. They tried to get away to mourn in, in private. And they couldn't even do that. The crowds gathered around them anyway. And so we pick up, and I'm going to read from John chapter 6 this morning. If We kind of set that, that image this morning. They're kind of going through that same feeling of, of you know, do you know what I, we're going through? We just want to be left alone for a little while. I don't want to deal with other people's problems right now. 
So John chapter 6, starting with verse 1, it says this. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias. Remember, they're trying to get away, to, to mourn, to grieve. It says, and a great crowd of people followed them because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. So they're gathering around because they want something from them. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for all these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Now, first, let's set the table. I mean, this is not just an ordinary crowd. There is somewhere upwards of fifteen to 20,000 people coming. Jesus sees them all coming. And so they're all looking for the flash and awe. You know, they're expecting, you know, miracles like, you know, the David Copperfield or the, the David Blaine or Chris Angel type of thing where the, the guy stands, where Jesus stands up in front of everyone, waves his magic wand and poof, takes care of everything. But what he has, but that's not what Jesus has in mind. He has something else in mind for this. And so he sees 15 to 20,000 people. And what does he do? He turns to Philip and says, hey, where shall we buy bread to feed everyone? Now, I want you to take note of this. First of all, he's faced with a great hunger. Right? I know it's a little bit different than the, what we face in our city, but he's faced with a great, a great number of people who are hungry. And, but I, I, I take notice that Jesus didn't ask them if they should try and feed them. He didn't leave open the possibility of leaving people hungry. He didn't discuss whether they were smart for leaving their house without extra food. He didn't talk about it. He just said, hey, where shall we go to get the food? People are hungry. We're going to feed them. Where shall we go to get the food? See, Jesus knew the miracle was needed. He wasn't going to send them away without the miracle. So this, this is kind of where we're at. And, and, you know, the same is true in our city today. You know, we, we can't just, we, we wait around thinking, well, is Jesus going to wave his magic wand and poof, solve all the problems of our city? But I believe that chapter 6 will show us a pattern of how God really wants to, to make a difference, to create miracles for our city today. So let's pick up with chapter, or chapter 6, verse 7. So Philip answered him, it would take more than a half year's wages to buy enough food, to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small loaves of bread, barley loaves, and two small fish. But how far is that going to, how far will that go among so many? You see, Philip and Andrew, they saw the size of the problem. And they already made up their mind. The only solution is to avoid the problem. Jesus, send them home. That was their agenda. That's why their response was similar to what often our response is in face of a, a big problem, in face of, of difficult circumstances. I, I mean, immediately, Jesus says, so, Philip, where are we going to go buy the bread? Philip, notice, neither of them actually answered Jesus' question. 
He said, where shall we get the bread? Where are we going to feed these people? He did not option not feeding them, but they, they, they did not answer the question. Philip immediately said, but we don't have enough money. And Andrew returned with, hey, we have this little bit of food, but what good is that going to do? What they were both hinting at was, Jesus, we don't have the energy, we don't have the time, and we don't have the resources. We're tired. We can't do this. We can't feed them. Send them home. That was their solution. Let's avoid the problem altogether. It's not our problem. It's just the way it is. There's 20,000 people here. They didn't bring food with them. That's their problem. It's just the way it is. Send them home. And so often we are guilty of this. You know, I think of, uh, uh, you know, that song from the 80s. It's just the way it is, right? Uh, for those of you who are as old as dirt like me, you know, some things will never change. You know, but, but Jesus had something else in mind. You know, and the last phrase, by the way, that chorus, if you know that song, that's just the way it is. The last phrase of the chorus is, but don't you believe it? And I kind of feel like if Philip and Andrew were singing that song, like, that's just the way it is. Some things will never change. Send them home, Jesus. You know, Andrew in his best Eeyore interpretation, you know, we have five small loaves and two small fishes, but what good's that going to do with all these people? You know, and that's Eeyore being happy, right? So uh, if you don't know who Eeyore is, read a children's book. Um, so, uh, but we feel this way, right? When we face circumstance, we look at the problems in our city and we go, but what can we do about it? We don't have the energy, the time, the resources. We're going through our own stuff. We can't do anything. It's just the way it is. But I think that Jesus is responding, but I don't believe that. Jesus is saying, but I don't believe that. There isn't nothing we can do. We can feed them. And so let's pick up verse 10. It says, Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place. They had no food. They had no water. But one thing they had lots of was places to sit down. So again, mind you, 15 to 20,000 people. Because it says, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. They did not count the women and children. They only counted the men. So that's where I get the 15, 20,000 people. We have no idea how many were there. We know there was 5,000 men, and we know there were lots of women and children. So it's like going to an entire, to a, to a rock concert and them saying, hey, all our concession stands are closed, so we're going to feed you. Everybody grab a seat. Everybody sit down on the ground and grab a seat in the grass. They had lots of grass, so Jesus said, hey, have them sit down. Jesus then took the loaves. Remember, Andrew made sure to emphasize they were small loaves and they were small fishes. He gave thanks and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So basically, it became a buffet, an all-you-can-eat buffet, and there was so much left over. Jesus said, but we're not going to waste even what's left over. So here's what happened. Here's the cool part of this miracle, though. Instead of Jesus just snapping his fingers in front of everyone and said, I am now going to create enough food, waving his magic wand, and boom, food falls from the sky. 
Instead, he prayed over those five loaves, started handing them to his disciples, and he let those disciples participate in the miracle. He let those disciples start. Could you imagine Philip and Andrew after their Eeyore interpretation? Could you imagine them walking down the aisle with half a loaf of barley bread and then handing it to somebody and then there it is in their hand again? And there's more and there's more and there's more. After they didn't believe there was anything they could do, Jesus allowed them to be part of the miracle of God. Jesus used them to be his miracle, his hand to those who were in need. Listen, Jesus could wave a magic wand and he could drop a solution for all of Hagerstown's problems right now, but he's not going to. Instead, he wants to use you and I to be the solution. He wants you and I to participate in being his hand and his feet to our community. He wants us to become the miracle of God to our communities, to our neighborhoods. He wants us to become his miracle. And that's today's big idea. Become the miracle of God. So that's God's plan. His plan is not just to, you know, they, they were expecting the flash and awe. But instead, it was just them quietly passing out food. Jesus prayed, handed it out. And people just keep passing it, and there's more, and there's more, and there's more. As Jesus then grabs the two small fish and does the same, and quietly the miracle happens as they're just all sitting around. I, I, and like I said, I just I can't imagine, after all their doubt, they got to be a part, they got to become part of the miracle of God. So how do you and I become the miracle of God for Hagerstown? How do you and I become the miracle of God for Greencastle or wherever it is that you live? I know I keep saying Hagerstown. That's my city. I, I don't know which city you're, you're from. Most of you are from Hagerstown area. But, you know, I, look, how do we become the miracle of God? It starts here. To become the miracle of God, first step, you must receive the miracle of God. So if you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you're not a Jesus follower and you don't have him in your life, I want you to know that God has created a miracle for you. You see, every one of us, every single one of us, have wronged God. We've committed sins. We've done things we're ashamed of. Every single one of us at some point in our life realized that we were on a pathway to eternal destruction and eternal death and hell. The real miracle, the biggest miracle God ever created was when he sent his only son to this earth to live a perfect, sinless life. And he then took our death sentence. You see, we couldn't do anything about it. We were stuck. We were stuck in our lives. We couldn't save ourselves. We couldn't forgive our own sins. We couldn't make things right. But Jesus Christ lived a perfect life, and then he went to the cross for you and I. And he died and he gave his life and he created this incredible miracle, which is our salvation. He offers us forgiveness and grace and mercy where we offered him rebellion and we offered him sin and we went our own way instead of his way. He in turn created this miracle of salvation that is simple and easy to have. He said in John chapter 6 verse 35 at the end of the chapter, 
Jesus declared, it says, then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. He was saying, yes, you have received food and water today, and it was a miracle. But the real miracle is when you will re receive me and you will get the bread of life that will change not only your moment here on earth, that that miracle of feeding the 5,000, which was really 15 or 20,000, that was a momentary miracle because tomorrow morning they're waking up hungry again. But he was saying, I am offering you an eternal miracle that is your salvation. I am offering you my life in place of yours, my death, my resurrection. I'm going to take your death sentence on me. And here's the cool part. If you're here today and you don't have that relationship with Jesus, it's so easy. You don't have to repeat some fancy prayer and you don't have to say anything special you can even do it right now as I continue this sermon by simply in your own heart, in your own way, letting God know, God, yeah, I need you in my life today. And that's all it takes because God is just bursting at the seams with excitement to give you his great miracle of his salvation. So I just encourage you, if that's you today, as I'm preaching this message, you can in your own heart right now, in just a moment's time, let God know, God, I'm ready. And that's it, because he's been ready for a long time waiting for you. So step one, you can't become the miracle of God if you haven't received him into your life to begin with. So to become the miracle of God, we receive the miracle of God. Step two, to become the miracle of God, we have to live the miracle of God. See, once we have him in our lives, we now have to give him reign and authority to change how we live. What good is our faith if it doesn't affect how we live, if we're no different than everyone else, if we've received this great miracle of salvation, how can, it, how can we help but let it affect how we live, how we conduct ourselves, how other people see us? Yes, it matters how we live. Yes, it matters how we act. I teach uh, financial literacy at North High here in town. And in that class in particular, when I talk to them about money, I talk to them about the importance of how they conduct themselves, how they conduct their business. And I tell them all, I tell them repeatedly, how you conduct yourself matters. How you treat that landlord will matter when you need that landlord. How you conduct your business will matter when you go back to a company to ask for their help. Okay? How we act does matter, right? Now I'm talking, that was all about, that's about finances. It's good stuff, but it's not sermon worthy. Money is actually not that, you know, it, it, we, we make too much out of it. Um, but how we live our lives does matter. If we tell people that we have received the greatest miracle of all into our life and they don't see that it makes any difference in our life, that we still couldn't care less what people think, that we don't give a rip about if our attitude sucks, that we don't care if we're Eeyore or if we're you know, bringing everybody down around us, that we don't care what anybody else thinks. And that's what our society tells us. Hey, don't let anybody tell you what to do. You live your own life. Don't let anybody put your attitude down. That's their problem. You act however you want to. But no, we don't get that right. 
As Christians, we want to make a difference. If we want to be the miracle of God for our city, then we have to live differently than the rest of the city. You see, the miracle begins by us changing first. If I want Hagerstown to be better, then Dave Johnson has to be better. If I want this city to live better, I need to live better. It starts with me. I can't be the miracle for someone else if I'm not letting the miracle God gave me change me. One of my friends from my youth group when I was a teenager, like 20 years later when Facebook actually became a thing, we, had this, we have this group uh, that we, we have on Facebook. And he posed this question. And uh, I, yeah, I know, it's kind of corny. This old people reminiscing about their teen years. But uh, he posed this question. He said, would 18-year-old you, if you went back in time, would 18-year-old you recognize who you are? It took me half a second to say not even close because I looked back at the wreck that the 18-year-old me was and I thought, and the attitudes and the judgments and the problems and the issues that God had done, had changed in my life since. I thought, no, I would never recognize myself. So that, that was fast-forwarded to when I was about 40. Here I am turning 50. I would like to think that if I went back in time to when I was 40, that 40-year-old Dave wouldn't recognize myself because I'd like to think God has done so much in my life in the last 10 years that he has made me even better and made me closer to him. And guess what? I would like to think that 60-year-old Dave could come back in time right now and meet me and I wouldn't recognize him because I sincerely hope that God is not done with me. I don't want to be God to be done with me. I don't want to believe that I've already been the best person. I, I want God to make me a better version of myself. I want my God to change how I live. I want to become even better. I'm not okay with who I am. Yeah, I mean, in the sense of like that I have it all together. I want God to make me even better. How I live matters. If I want to be the miracle of God, I have to live like God makes a difference in my life. Yes, I'm talking about holiness. Yes, I'm talking about how we conduct ourselves, but also I'm just talking about the, I'm talking about the idea that when we grieve, yes, we grieve. Listen, it's tough when you have to go through grief. But we grieve as somebody who has a joy in our heart in spite of the grief. We go through rough situations. People don't expect us to pretend like it's fine, but we go through those storms of life as people who have peace in our heart in spite of the storm. If we want to be the miracle of God, we first have to receive it, and then we have to live differently. Lastly, you want to become the miracle of God? The last step is this. You need to share the miracle of God. Don't just keep it to yourself. Here's the deal. We look at the problems around us. We look at our city and, and the problems. If we can't, and we, and we get overwhelmed because we get it. We can't be the miracle of God for everyone. But we can be the miracle of God for someone. Jesus said that this, this is the last verse, chapter 6, verse 13, that I'm going to read today. 
says this, so they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. And the point here is five small loaves. There was enough left over to share. Baskets and baskets full of bread left over to share. We want to make a difference. No, look, I get it. I look around the problems and I go, I can't do anything about it. I can't be the miracle for Hagerstown. I can't change my city. No, but I can change one person's life. I can become the miracle for someone. And if I become the miracle for someone, and you become the miracle for someone, all of a sudden we can make a difference. You want to see a miracle happen in Hagerstown? It becomes when we are willing to be the miracle for one person. Do for one person what you wish you could do for all of them. Maybe God will bring somebody your way who's hungry. You may not be able to feed all the hungry, but you can feed somebody. Maybe God brings somebody your way who is who slept last night outside in the 30-degree weather because they had nowhere else to go. You may not be able to provide shelter for everyone, but maybe you can provide shelter for someone. Yeah, I get it. It may very well be their own fault they're in that situation. It doesn't change the fact that they were outside in 30-degree weather while you were warm in bed last night. You may not be able to be a mother or a father to all the orphans of Hagerstown, but maybe you could be that for one. You may not be able to help everybody, all the victims of the opioid crisis, but maybe you can help one. You see, if even just all of Lifehouse could become the miracle for someone, each of us, all of a sudden, we're making a difference in Hagerstown. And then people will look and say, how did Hagerstown turn things around? And everybody will say, I don't know. People just took care of each other. People just took care of each other. We can make a difference. The problem isn't so great. Our God is greater. All he asks us to do is take the Barbie loaves and start handing it out. Just plain and simple. Would you be the miracle for someone? We're going to pray. As we pray first, I want to take a moment and just pray for any of you who you're at step one. This morning, you're just receiving the miracle of God. We want to pray for you and celebrate what, what is God is doing in your life. And then I'm going to ask you all to pray with me a very simple prayer. God, how can I be the miracle for someone? I know I can't be the miracle for everyone, but would you help me to be the miracle for someone? Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son. Thank you for the miracle that was the gift of our salvation when your son died on a cross and rose again from the dead three days later. Thank you, 
you, God, for that miracle. For all who are here today who are just beginning this journey with step one and just receiving your miracle of salvation right now, God, I pray that they would just know right now in their hearts, God, that you have heard their voice and that you love them and that you are pouring your miracle of forgiveness and grace and mercy on their lives right now. And God, together right now, we pray, how can we individually be the miracle of God for somebody today? How can we do for one what we wish we could do for everyone?